Well, good morning, Spring Lake. It is so good to be with you. I want to introduce myself. My name is Adam. I am the pastor of Discipleship Ministries, and normally I am on our Bellevue campus, which is why normally you don't see my face, and that's probably, that's probably a good thing. You're probably thanking uh, the Lord for that, but I have the opportunity to be with you um, this morning and next week as well, looking forward to getting into uh, the Psalms together, and I just want to say, uh, first of all, I am so excited to be here downtown campus for the first time. I'm hearing some awesome stories of what God is doing in this group and, and through this group. So, so exciting um, to be here this morning. I, I want to start out, uh, first of all, just by having you think about the soundtrack of your life. Uh, I, I'm sure for many of us, there are probably songs that you can think of going back as early as childhood, those songs that you heard growing up. Uh, for me, um, I can think of um, certain songs by Chicago that bring me back to being on the school bus um, a- as a kid, or in high school when my girlfriend had that conversation with me, you know the one, I think God just wants us to be friends. I remember the song that I played all the way home as my heart was in pieces as I was mourning that. Um, I remember in college as I was in the guy's dorm and on the 19th uh, floor of the guy's dorm overlooking the Chicago skyline and, and, and looking out with the Sears Tower there on the horizon and looking out towards Columbus, Ohio where my girlfriend was with the songs of Barry Manilow playing. Yeah, I know, I know. You're just barely getting to know me, and I just already handed in my man card uh, right, right there. Um, maybe for some of us, we have those playlists that, that we enjoy listening to that just get us pumped up as we're working out, where it just provides the rhythm and the beat, or those songs that we listened to, you know, before the big game when it was just like getting pumped. I, I know for me, it was Eye of the Tiger. Right? I, I the tiger. I was so excited yesterday as I'm working in my garage getting some, some things like, you know, out in the garage, oh, 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 working, working out there. And I'm hearing like some guy down the street like jamming to Eye of the Tiger. And I was like, yes, it's the, the fever still goes on. I mean, Eye of the Tiger being so big. But think about those songs, songs having such impact on our lives because they, they provide that soundtrack through the highs and the lows, those, those ways of expressing ourselves beyond just what we say with our words, but how they put our thoughts and, and our feelings to music. Um, those times when we are feeling really good, when, things, when life is just great, and those times when, man, it's just the mundane and we just need a pick-me-up, or maybe even just the, the solemnness of where we are in, at that point in, in life. Songs have the tendency to do that for us. Well, as we look at Songs of Summer, our, our study of Psalms, we see the same thing happening throughout this book. These songs that are written that are the expressions of the human heart, everything that we go through. Now, some of us, we might think that, hey, if it is a song and it's unto God or if it's in the Bible, that means it's just, it's peppy, it's, it's happy, you just gotta, you gotta think positive, it's just great all the time, but that's not what we find Throughout the Psalms, we, we realize that there are times where it is just addressing the hurt of our lives, the times where we feel like, God, have, have you abandoned me? 
Um, God, are you even hearing me right now? Those are those times when there is just anguish of the heart. And, and what do we do with that? What I'm so grateful for in the book of Psalms is that, first of all, this is God's word for us. So it's authoritative that it has um, direction that it gives for us. It has um, the, the standard for our life. And God has given that to us that we might express ourselves similarly to him in these ways. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 27. If you're following along um, with our study plan for the summer, um, you'll notice that this psalm is the very one um, that is on the docket for today to, to read. And you might think, man, these guys really plan really good. No, we don't. We're, 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 not, that, we're not that good. But God is. Okay, so, so here is the psalm that we are going through on that study plan today. And a couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Jack just did the intro to Psalms and talked about how many of these Psalms were written by David. Okay, we're going to see the same thing this morning, that the Psalm that we're looking at um, is, is a song written by David that addresses some of those difficulties. Uh, Shelley, a little bit ago, just referenced verse 1 and talking about how, how God is a stronghold. But what we're going to see is in the midst of great difficulty uh, as well, where it's not just uh, a peppiness to it, but also where there are some minor notes. Some of those things that in, in the course of our life that we struggle with, that we deal with, that can be very hard uh, on a daily basis, and yet where God proves himself to be true, to be faithful to us. So I want to encourage you this morning uh, to turn to Psalm 27 with me. We're going to be starting out in verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning, your word that is true, that is authoritative, God, that not only reveals your heart to us, but it exposes us to what is inside of each of us. And so, God, this morning, I, I pray that regardless of the kinds of things that we might be going through right now, that we would be encouraged by your word. 
God, that we would be directed by what you have to tell us. Help us to focus this morning. Help us to receive what you have to share with us. God, that we might be transformed and that you might be glorified even more through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start out this morning, first of all, just by asking you a simple question. Maybe, maybe not so simple. Who are you? Uh, for many of us, we might answer that question based on what it is that we do. We might base it on our occupation. Well, I'm a plumber. I'm a, a teacher. I'm a data analyst. I'm a homemaker. Um, for others, we might base it off of our relationships. We say, well, you know what, it's not about work, it's about the people in your life. So we would identify ourselves as, uh, I'm, a, I'm a spouse, I'm a parent, I'm a child, I'm a sibling, I'm a friend. Um, others, it's the accolades that they receive, so many titles or um, degrees that they have or what they've accomplished uh, in their life. Oftentimes, we tend to base who we are based on um, what it is that we do or who it is that we know. And the reality being that oftentimes, we base our identity on those things that we place our confidence in. So as long as there's some sense of security in what we do or who we know, we remain confident, but those things get shaken up, and our sense of confidence does as well. The reality is, in our hearts, we all desire that sense of confidence. Social media is an interesting um, way of, of looking at this. Many of us are connected through you know, Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook or, or pick uh, whatever it is, whatever outlet that you choose to engage with people uh, online. And, and, and I'm so grateful for uh, those opportunities, for the opportunity to stay connected with family and, and friends from uh, around the country, even, even around the world. I mean, it's, it's so amazing that we live in a time where you can stay connected with people that you never see. And, and yet, we see that in social media, it also has a way of exposing our insecurities, doesn't it? where we base who we are or how much people like us based on how many likes do we get on a given post or a picture or how many shares or retweets does it have or how many comments does it have. I mean, even to the point where I'm sure you've seen some of those posts where people say, you know what, my true friends will share this. And then you're like, okay, do I have to, do I have to share this just to prove something to this person? But we realize that even within the church, insecurities are not just something that are out there. It's just those social media people out there, but that there are insecurities in our own hearts, aren't there? Even within the church. Where we realize that there can be this tendency to fear, what if people really knew? What if people in the church, what if people in my small group really knew the struggles that I'm going through? What if they knew that things in the marriage weren't uh, as, as great as they appeared, that it wasn't all the smiley faces that appear in the, in the pictures? What if parenting right now is very difficult? What if there are some private struggles that are happening, and what happens if someone finds those things out? Or what happens if you share it and it's met with a gaze that you read as being judgmental? What if it appears that it's a look of disapproval or non-support or maybe the feedback from what you share isn't as encouraging as you would like it to be? We, we live in this state of fear of what is going to happen. Where does our confidence come from? The reality is, is that so many people struggle with insecurities, with 
fears, with discouragement. Think with me for a moment this morning. What is it that you are placing your confidence in right now? Where is your confidence? And is there anything that you could face that could shake that confidence? And I would say that if that confidence can be shaken, there is a sense where maybe it's not as powerful or as foundational for you as it could be. What we're going to see in Psalm 27 is that it is a reminder of where true confidence comes from. In the, in the day in the day out. Not just when everything is great, praise Jesus, everything is great, life is good, but in those difficult moments as well. And we see that right away in verse 1 where David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? First point this morning is that endurance is not found in self-confidence, but God-confidence. That it's not just a, a matter of looking to ourselves, but looking to God. I mean, if we are successfully going to make it through life, if we're going to successfully make it through the everyday for that matter, it's clear that we're going to have to have the right focus to get us through. Now, now please understand what I'm talking about. If we're going to get through successfully, it's not meaning like, you know, if you're going to climb the corporate ladder, if you're going to be successful in the world's eyes, if your family's going to have it all together. No, we're talking about success as God sees it, living according to the purpose for which you were created. So many people asking that question, why am I here? Well, you're created to bring glory to God. You're created to make much of your creator, to know him. Not only to know him, but to enjoy him. And, and to spread his fame throughout the world that your entire life, your entire being might be to the praise of who he is. Now, it just shows you kind of this discrepancy, this, this divide we have where it's like, really, that, that's it? Because we don't think as highly of God as we should. We kind of think like, wait a minute, that sounds kind of, kind of boring. It just shows that we really don't understand the beauty and the grandeur of how awesome God is. But God created us to make much of him, to spread his incredible worth throughout the world. Notice what David's hope is here, what he says his confidence is. It's not in his own abilities. It's not something that he has within him. It's not something that he has accomplished. It's not his past track record. It is this present, ongoing hope in who his God is, this God who directs, who protects, who saves we see that in David describing God here in verse 1 as his light, as his salvation, as his stronghold. That is the only means by which we can have confidence in facing the unknown. It's the only way in which we can have confidence in facing the known. It's the only way that we can get through the everyday is if God is that for us as well. To provide that sense of calm when life is tumultuous. To have that sense of security when it seems that the, the difficulties of the day would normally cause our hearts just to cave in. See, there are those that believe that confidence comes just from believing in yourself. That there is this sense of self-empowerment. Like if you just believe it, if you just believe it hard enough, then you can see that happen. You can accomplish great things. You just have to believe in yourself. 
because you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. <laughs> and yet realizing that we have something altogether different here. I mean, all the time we are reminded of people that are trying to bolster themselves, believing that, hey, if I just tell like it is, if I just spat out what I'm feeling, that is a sense of empowerment. If I just flaunt my body, there is a sense of empowerment that comes. This is who I am. This is, this is me. This is me. I'm just letting it all hang out. Just This is who I am. This sense of confidence, like, hey, if you got it flaunted, this, whatever you want to do, that's, that's where true empowerment comes from. But we realize that is not the case. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that in our beings, there is weakness. There are things that we would like to do that we blow at doing. There are things that we don't mean to do that, that we do. There is a weakness there that if we are counting on ourselves, we are going to disappoint ourselves every single time. But what we have here is true confidence, not a false confidence that just believes in ourselves. See, David's confidence was not in what was within him, but rather who was outside of him. Who was the one that was the light and the stronghold for him? Who was his salvation, which was the reason why he could say, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? It's not because he was like, hey, I'm the man, I have it all together, but where his confidence was. I mean, remember the, the story of David. I know Pastor Jack shared just a, a couple weeks ago as far as looking at the life of David and how he was the shepherd boy. And as um, Samuel is coming to Jesse and, and looking at, hey, there is someone appointed in this family that's going to be the next king, going through the entire lineup of, hey, here's the able-bodied men, here's the guys that would be next, here's the oldest, no, not him. Well, here's the next one, no, not him, anyone else. And it's David that's just this guy out taking care of the sheep that is appointed king. Remember when David confronts Goliath as just this young man, as for days where Goliath is taunting the people of God, who would dare go up against me? Which one of you, puny little men, would dare go against me? And David shows up at the battle a few days later just to provide supplies. He hears what's going on. He's like, guys, why are we putting up with this? Why isn't somebody going out there and taking this guy on? And everyone's like, whatever. But remember as David approaches Goliath, what his hope, what his confidence was. He says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, as he's coming up against him, he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. <laughs> Whoa. Notice what David's not saying. You know what? Hey, I've already taken on a lion and a bear, and I, I think I, I can handle you. He's like, you have defied the God of heaven. And you are not going get, to get away with this. In fact, I'm going to take your very own, own sword. I'm going to cut off your head with your own sword. 
See, that, that's one of those things. That's one of those details that we didn't have, like when we were growing up when, in the days of flannel graph. I mean, everyone wanted to, to have the flannel graph characters. I always envied. Who wants, to, who wants to take David and put him on? I mean, it was like, oh, the flannel graph was so awesome. But there was never this moment where it's like, okay, kids, who wants to take David? Okay, who wants to take Goliath? Oh, do you want to take Goliath's head? You know, it's like, oh, there's a little detail. There's his head that David just cut off. But looking at what David does, what his hope is in, the God who this army has defied, his confidence that, hey, this battle is God's. Notice in verse 1 this, this sense where David is not just saying that God is light, God is salvation, God is a stronghold, but where it has become personalized. God is my light. God is my salvation. God is my stronghold. Where it's become personalized for him. Not just generalized, not just saying, hey, there's a big guy in the sky, but where he is David's. And the question this morning, is he yours? Have you made him yours? What an incredible privilege God offers each of us in the sense that he desires to be ours. But we realize this world is broken and messed up, and God says, I've provided salvation. I want to be your salvation. The world is a tough place, and God says, I want to be your refuge. The world is a dark place. God says, I want to be your light. The question is, have you personalized that? Have you made him yours, where it's not just generalized, where it's just being religious and doing this religion thing, but where... God is yours. There is a sense of ownership where you have made him yours. God desires that of you this morning. Second point um, we see in this passage is that confidence is tested by affliction. Our confidence is going to be tested by difficult times. We see uh, any number of things that we can face that can rock the boat a bit. They can shake our world where it feels like, hey, the rector scale is going off here. Things are, are not as smooth as we would like them to be that can really rock our sense of confidence. Throughout this passage, we see in various things David making reference to that uh, for any one of us could cause us to say, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Looking at verse 2, we see that there are those that desire to do him harm. He says, the wicked advance against me to devour me. Now, how many of you would say that if you knew there was someone that was just set out just to make your life miserable, that it would be very difficult? You might have those kind of people at work or at school, those people that will do their best just to make you look like an idiot, those people that just want nothing else but to make life very difficult for you, to destroy you, maybe your career, maybe your reputation. Your ideas. There, there are those here that he's saying are advancing uh, against him to do him harm. That is the reality for David. In verse 3, uh, we see that there are those that not only desire to cause him harm, but those that desire to do so far outnumber him. Uh, he says, though an army besiege me. Now you talk about adding a layer of stress on top of a layer of stress, not only having one person that seeks to do ill will against you, but having multiple people do so, where it is you are now the minority. 
uh, against a majority that would desire to cause you harm. How difficult that would be. Maybe there are those times where um, you have been bullied, those times where you've felt alone, those times where you've been mocked for your faith, where it's like, man, I don't even want to go into the, the, the lunchroom at work or, or at school. I don't even want to face that because I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I don't even want to be a part of that. And yet here is the reality for David. In verse 5, um, an expectation that there are going to be difficult days ahead as he's talking about the day of trouble. We all know that we face good days. We all have those times where it's like, you know what? If every day for the rest of my life was like today, man, it's good, right? When you have those good days where it's like, man, I wish every day was like today. But then we realize that not every day is like that, that there are those days where it's like, oh, my goodness. I just wish I could just get back in bed and start a new day, and it's only 9 in the morning, right? Those, those days where it's like, man, it is, it is hard. And yet, where he is talking about the day of trouble that, that comes in verse 10, um, even looking at the hurt and harm that can be caused by somebody else when it hits close to home. As he's talking about, though, my father and mother forsake me. For some of you, that might be very real. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody that is very close to you, very near and dear. You shared some things with them, believing that it was in confidence, and they took that and, and just started talking with other people. And now what you shared is out there. Maybe it's somebody that has been close to you that has caused you immense hurt. And you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, if this is a family member that did this to me, who in the world can I trust? If this is a friend that did this to me, if, if they're going to abandon me or they are going to hurt me, what hope is there? Who in the world am I going to go to in such times if even those closest to me disappoint me in this way? And yet what we see with David is that there is hope even in the midst of these kinds of things. Verse 11, he talks about uh, oppressors. Verse 12, he talks about false witnesses that are spreading false accusations uh, against him, telling lies uh, about him. And if you've ever been the victim or experienced that in your own life, you realize, how do I get out in front of that? How, how do I stop that? How do I stop people from sharing that statement about me? All these things that for any one of us at any given time could rock our sense of confidence of where we are putting our hope of what it is that we are trusting in in those moments. Those times where we just don't want to get out of bed because life just seems so difficult. So what do we do? Any one of these things, these are the kinds of things where people are like, you know what, I just want to escape from the world for a while. So I'm going to take up alcohol, I'm going to take up drugs, I'm just going to pour my life into my work. I'm going to be addicted to work because if I'm addicted to work, then I don't think about the hurt. And it's not alcohol, it's not drugs, but it's work. It's devoting your life solely finding a refuge in something else. People turning to any number of things that ultimately only God can provide refuge for. See, it's terrible to go to a place where you're seeking refuge only to find that place that you put your hope in fell short. If you've ever been through Detroit, you know that Detroit isn't like one of the most pleasant cities in the country. 
I remember years ago, we went on a missions trip, um, leaving Sheboygan. We were driving out to um, New York State on this missions trip, and our executive director um, booked us a place in Detroit. And it's like the only hotel that I ever stayed at where not only did I bolt the door, but I chained the door, and then I put a chair against the doorknob. You know, one of these places where it's like, okay, um, you know, I'm supposed to be safe now with these locks, but you're still sleeping with one eye open because it's like, man, am I really safe in here? Here's the reality. When we make God our refuge, there's not this point where we need to bring along a master lock as well. Okay, um, God's my refuge, but I'm still providing some chains for the door. I'm keeping one eye open, realizing God is our refuge. There is nothing else that we need. God is a refuge. There is no place else that we need to go. God's protection is completely perfect. He alone provides that sense of strength and security that we find here. Even in those times when it seems like our world um, would be rocked. Even those times when we get unexpected news. Even those days when we face things that we would never choose to go through. But God is a light. God is salvation. God is our stronghold even in those times where there's no need to take out a warranty or, or, or insurance or anything else. God is enough. Now, when I'm talking about insurance, I'm not saying, hey, don't, don't use insurance. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not in the sense that, hey, we, we need to count on something else like maybe God won't come through. God is faithful to us. See, without God as our refuge, we leave ourselves open to being crushed under the weight of today's crisis. On top of today's crisis, we add on top of that the anxiety of what might come tomorrow. And we leave ourselves in a wreck, a formula for discouragement. I want you to think about this morning just those situations that are weighing on your mind lately. Do you really think that there is anything that you are facing right now or could face that God will not prove himself to be faithful in? Is there any circumstance that you might go through that you think is going to be the exception to God's goodness, grace, and strength in your life? You might be asking yourself this morning, how do I make God my refuge? How does that happen? Is it just about I I come to church more? And to that, I would say it's, it's not so much a matter of where you go, but where you place your trust. So that all people who place their trust, yes, come to church, but that doesn't mean that everybody that's coming to church and gathering on a weekly basis are necessarily putting their trust in God. It's not necessarily that they are making God their refuge. Maybe it's just activity. You see, it's, it's a matter of where you place your trust, not simply the places that you go. So while our confidence is tested by affliction, it's also grown through it. Realizing that confidence in God is not just something that is used for emergency situations, but that it is something that in all times, whether things are going well or things are difficult, that our confidence needs to be placed in God regularly. 
The confidence in God is not some, one of those things where it's like the oxygen mask falling from the ceiling when the pressure gets off in an airplane and you put the mask on for a little bit until things stabilize and then you can take the mask off and, hey, now I'm okay. I can breathe on my own. I can live on my own. I can do things on my own. But we realize that every day is a day of dependency on God and God being our strength, God being our refuge. God, help me through today. God, help me to be faithful today. God, help me to come to you today with the worries of my heart, with the, the burdens of what I'm experiencing, with the joys of what I've done. Have you ever just gone outside and said, God, today's an awesome day. It's beautiful. God, thank you. You are so good. Just that regular habit of coming to God with all that you are, not just with your needs, but with your being, with who you are as his child. Last point, confidence is strengthened by a growing awareness of the goodness and majesty of God. When we're talking about the majesty of God, we're talking about his superiority, his beauty, his awesomeness. That as we think about the confidence of God, there's one aspect of it where it's like, okay, you have confidence in God or you don't. But it's not just a matter of, okay, I have confidence in God, so I'm good. It's a matter of our confidence in God growing. That we are continually learning of who God is and how awesome he is. That we are um, surrendering our hearts and living for him more faithfully. Approaching him more regularly. See, confidence is not just something we have in those difficult times. It's in the day in and day out. Even seeing that in the life of David here, look at David's one passion. It's not just that, hey, God is my light, my salvation, my stronghold, but looking at the passion of David's heart, what it is that he is yearning for in verse 4. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see, his passion was to know God more. It wasn't that God was just this fallback for him. Like, hey, I'm just going to live my life, and if I blow it, you know, if, if I'm uncertain, if things are hard, then I'm going to come to God. He's like, man, my one aim in life is to know God more is to celebrate him more, to be around him, to, to know him, to praise him, to give him the credit that is only due to him. He's like, that, that is my aim. So it's not just a matter of having God as the fallback. It's that when God is our aim, we can have full confidence in everything that he is leading us into and through, that in those things, God will prove himself a stronghold, a refuge, our light, our salvation for us. Amen. See, because of that, that's why David can say, whom should I fear? Who will I be afraid? Any number of these things, these circumstances, we could say, well, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to face that. And yet, even in those moments when God is our aim, he proves himself to be the stronghold, even in those moments where he is faithful to us. David wraps up in verse 14 with the sense of, okay, so, so what do we do? You know, God is our refuge. God is our stronghold. Okay, for, for how long? 
God will never cease to be that. That's why in verse 14, he's saying, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Not be strong in who you are, be strong in who he is. That's our hope. It's not in our own abilities. It's, hey, you're going to be able to think your way through this. Hey, you're going to have it all together. Hey, you're going to land on your feet. You're going to land on your feet. you got a lot going for you. You ever hear that? I, I remember hearing that. There was, a, there was a ministry I was a part of years ago where they were facing um, difficult decisions. They were having difficult